Chapter Ten of In the Arctic Seas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the Arctic Seas by Captain F. L. McClintock. Chapter Ten. Sixth August. Continued calms have delayed us. This evening we steamed from Ponds Bay northward although our coals have been sadly reduced by the almost constant necessity for steam power since leaving the Waigat. The three steam whalers have gone southward. None others have arrived. They appear to us to be leaving the whales behind them. We saw many whilst up in the strait and at the edge of the remaining ice. The natives said that they would remain as long as the ice remained, but when it all broke up they would return into Baffin's Bay and go southward, and that these animals arrive in early spring and do not pass through the strait into any other sea beyond. Monday evening, ninth. On the night of the 6th, a pleasant fair breeze sprang up and enabled us to dispense with the engine. An immense bear was shot. He measured 8 feet 7 inches in length and is destined for the museum of the Royal Dublin Society. On the 7th, the wind gradually freshened and frustrated my intention of examining the wreck spoken of near Cape Hay. At night it increased to a very heavy gale. Although past Navy Board Inlet, very little ice had yet been met with. The weather and fear of ice to leeward obliged us to heave the vessel to, under main trysail and fore staysail. The squalls were extremely violent and seas unusually high. All Sunday the 8th the gale continued, although not with such extreme force. The deep rolling of the ship and moaning of the half-drowned dogs amidst the pelting sleet and rain was anything but agreeable. Notwithstanding that I had been up all the previous night, I felt too anxious to sleep. The wind blew directly up Barrow Strait drifting us about two miles an hour. Occasionally she drifted to leeward of masses of ice, reminding us that if any of the dense pack which covered this sea only three weeks ago remained to leeward of us, we must be rapidly setting down upon its weather edge. The only expedient in such a case is to endeavour to run into it. Once well within its outer margin, a ship is comparatively safe. The danger lies in the attempt to penetrate. To escape out of the pack afterwards is also a doubtful matter. In the evening we were very glad to see the land, and find ourselves off the north shore near Cape Bullen, for the violent motion of the ship and very weak horizontal magnetic force had rendered our compasses useless. This morning, the ninth, the gale broke and the sea began to subside rapidly. By noon it was almost calm, but a thick gloom prevailed, ominous it might be of more mischief. All along the land is ice, but broken up into harmless atoms. We have carried away a main gaff and jib stay, but have come remarkably well through such a gale with such trifling damage. 11th. Before noon today we anchored inside Cape Riley and immediately commenced preparations for embarking coals. I visited Beachy Island House and found the door open. It must have been blown in by an easterly gale long ago, for much ice had accumulated immediately inside it. Most of the biscuit in bags was damaged, but everything else was in perfect order. Upon the north and west sides of the house, where a wall had been constructed, there was a vast accumulation of ice, in which the lower tier of casks between the two were embedded, and its surface thawed into pools. Neither casks nor wall should have been allowed to stand near the house. The southern and eastern sides were clear and perfectly dry. The Mary decked boat and two thirty-feet lifeboats were in excellent order, and their paint appeared fresh, but oars and bare wood were bleached white. The gutter-percher boat was useless when left here, and remains in the same state. Two small sledge travelling boats were damaged. One of them had been blown over and over along the beach until finally arrested by the other. The bears and foxes do not appear to have touched anything. 
I have taken on board all letters left here for Franklin's or Collinson's expeditions, and also a twenty-feet sledge-boat for our own travelling purposes. Last night we steamed very close round Cape Hurd in a dense fog, and crept along the land as our only guide. We were thus led into Rigby Bay, and discovered a shoal off its entrance by grounding upon it. After a quarter of an hour we floated off unhurt. In lowering a boat to pursue a bear, Robert Hampton fell overboard. Fortunately he could swim and was very soon picked up, but the intense cold of the water had almost paralysed his limbs. The bear was shot and taken on board. Sunday 15th, 9 p.m. Our coaling was completed yesterday, and the ship brought over and anchored off the house in Erebus and Terror Bay. A small proportion of provisions and winter clothing has been embarked to complete our deficiencies. The ice has been scraped out of the house and its roof thoroughly repaired, a record deposited, and door securely closed. I found lying at Godhaven a marble tablet which had been sent out by Lady Franklin in the American expedition of 1855 under Captain Hartstein, for the purpose of being erected at Beachy Island. Circumstances prevented the Americans executing this kindly service, and it fell to my lot to convey it to the site originally intended. The tablet was constructed in New York under the direction of Mr. Grinnell, at the request of Lady Franklin, in order that the only opportunity which then offered of sending it to the Arctic regions might not be lost. I placed the monument upon the raised flagged square in the centre of which stands the cenotaph recording the names of those who perished in the government expedition under Sir Edward Belcher. Here also is placed a small tablet to the memory of Lieutenant Bellow. I could not have selected for Lady Franklin's memorial a more appropriate or conspicuous site. The inscription runs as follows. To the memory of Franklin, Crozier, Fitzjames, and all their gallant brother officers and faithful companions who have suffered and perished in the cause of science and the service of their country. This tablet is erected near the spot where they passed their first Arctic winter, and whence they issued forth to conquer difficulties or to die. It commemorates the grief of their admiring countrymen and friends, and the anguish, subdued by faith, of her who has lost, in the heroic leader of the expedition, the most devoted and affectionate of husbands. And so he bringeth them unto the haven where they would be. 1855 This stone has been entrusted to be affixed in its place by the officers and crew on the American expedition commanded by Lieutenant H. J. Hartstein in search of Dr. Kane and his companions. This tablet, having been left at Disco by the American expedition, which was unable to reach Beachy Island in 1855, was put on board the Discovery Yacht Fox, and is now set up here by Captain McClintock, R.N., commanding the final expedition of search for ascertaining the fate of Sir John Franklin and his companions, 1858. We are now ready to proceed upon our voyage from Beachy Island, and there is no ice in sight, but having worked almost unceasingly since our arrival up to the present hour, the men require a night's rest. Nearly forty tons of fuel have been embarked. The total absence of ice in Barrow Strait is astonishing. No less so are the changes and chances of this singular navigation. Twelve days later than this, in 1850, when I belonged to Her Majesty's ship Assistance, with considerable difficulty we came within sight of Beachy Island. A cairn on its summit attracted notice. Captain O'Manny managed to land, and discovered the first traces of the missing expedition. Next day the United States schooner Rescue arrived. The day after, Captain Penny joined us, and subsequently Captain Austin, Sir John Ross, and Captain Forsyth. In all, ten vessels were assembled here. This day, six years, when in command of the Intrepid, we sailed from here for Melville Island, in company with the Resolute. Again I was here at this time in 1854, still frozen up in the North Star, and doubts were entertained of the possibility of escape. 
To come down to a later period, it was this day fortnight only that I set out for the native village in Pond's Inlet, under the guidance of an old woman. The trip was interesting, but we failed to obtain the slightest clue to the whereabouts of the missing ships. Moreover, our own little vessel had a most providential escape from being crushed against the cliffs, and this day week was spent in contending with a furious gale, during which the ship had been nearly driven to leeward and dashed to pieces by the sea-beaten pack. Yet these are only preliminaries. We are only now about to commence the interesting part of our voyage. It is to be hoped the poor fox has many more lives to spare. Monday night, 16th August. Sailed from Beachy Island this morning, and in the evening landed at Cape Hotham. A small depot of provisions and three boats were left there by former expeditions. Of the depot, all has been destroyed, with the exception of two casks, landed in 1850. The boats were sound, but several of their oars, which had been secured upright, were found broken down by bears, those inquisitive animals having a decided antipathy to anything stuck up, stuck up things in general being, in this country, unnatural. Fragments of the depot and the broken oars were tossed about in every direction. Numerous records were found. To the most recent, a few lines were added, stating that we had removed the two whale-boats, one to be left at Port Leopold, the other to replace our own, crushed by the ice. 17th. Last night, battling against a strong foul wind with sea in rain and fog. Today, much loose ice is seen southward of Griffith's Island. The weather improved this afternoon, and we shot gallantly past Limestone Island, and are now steering down Peel Strait, all of us in a wild state of excitement, a mingling of anxious hopes and fears. 18th. For twenty-five miles last evening we ran unobstructedly down Peel Strait, but then came in sight of unbroken ice extending across it from shore to shore. It was much decayed, and of one year's growth only, yet as the strait continues to contract for sixty miles further, and it appeared to me to afford so little hope of becoming navigable in the short remainder of the season, I immediately turned about for Bellow Strait, as affording a better prospect of a passage into the western sea discovered by Sir James Ross from Fall River Point in 1849. Our disappointment at the interruption of our progress was as sudden as it was severe. We did not linger in hope of a change, but steered out again into the broad waters of Barrow Strait. However, should Bellow Strait prove hopeless, I intend to return hither to make one more effort before the close of the season. We are now approaching Port Leopold, where it is necessary to stop for a few hours to examine the state of the steam launch, provisions and stores left there in 1849, as adverse circumstances may oblige me to fall back upon it as a point of support. 19th. At anchor in Port Leopold. It is perfectly clear of ice. We arrived here in the night. How astonishingly bare the land looks. It is more barren than Beachy Island, whilst the rock contains far fewer fossils. On this day, nine years ago, the harbour and sea continued covered with ice, and the ships, Enterprise and Investigator, were unable to escape. At some period since then the ice has been pressed in upon the low shingle point. It has forced the launch up before it and left a broadside onto the beach, with both bows stove in and in want of considerable repairs. But the means are all at hand for executing them. We tried to haul her further up, but she was firmly embedded and frozen into the ground. Many things appear to have been covered with the loose shingle, bags of coal and coke just appearing through it scarcely above high water mark. Amongst the missing articles is the steam engine. Although the flagstaff upon the summit of Northeast Cape is still standing, the one erected upon this point, and almost the whole of the framing of the house lies prostrate. The provisions appear to be sound, but were not generally examined. The whale-boat we removed from Cape Hotham was landed here, and a record of our proceedings added to the many which have accumulated here during the last ten years. 
some coke and a few things useful to us and merely decaying here were taken on board and by evening we were again speeding onward with augmented resources and the confidence inspired by a secure depot in our rear buoyed up moreover by the joyful anticipation of soon reaching the goal of our long deferred hopes twentieth noon exactly off fury point there is one large iceberg far off in the southeast no other ice in sight i would have landed at fury beach to examine the remaining supplies there but a snow shower prevented our distinguishing anything and a strong tide carried us past before we were aware of it we feel that the crisis of our voyage is near at hand does bellow strait really exist if so is it free from ice a depot of provisions is being got ready to be landed should it be practicable for us to push through and proceed to the southward twenty first on approaching brentford bay last evening packed ice was seen streaming out of it also much ice in the southeast the northern point of entrance was landed upon by sir john ross in eighteen twenty nine and named possession point we rounded it closely and could distinguish a few stones piled up upon a large rock near its highest point this is his cairn as we passed westward between the point and brown's island through a channel a mile in width a close pack was discovered a few miles ahead and it being past ten o'clock and almost dark the ship was anchored in a convenient bay three or four miles within possession point here our depot is to be landed therefore we shall name this for the present depot bay a very narrow isthmus between its head and hazard inlet unites the low limestone peninsula of which possession point is the extreme to the mainland to-day an unsparing use of steam and canvas forced the ship eight miles further west we were then about halfway through bellow strait its western capes are lofty bluffs such as may be distinguished fifty miles distant in clear weather between them there was a clear broad channel but five or six miles of close heavy pack intervened the sole obstacle to our progress of course this pack will speedily disperse it is no wonder that we should feel elated at such a glorious prospect and continue to bide our time in the security of depot bay a feeling of tranquillity of earnest hearty satisfaction has come over us there is no appearance amongst us of anything boastful we have all experienced too keenly the vicissitudes of arctic voyaging to admit of such a feeling at the turn of tide we perceived that we were being carried together with the pack back to the eastward every moment our velocity was increased and presently we were dismayed at seeing grounded ice near us but were very quickly swept past it at a rate of nearly six miles an hour though within two hundred yards of the rocks and of instant destruction as soon as we possibly could we got clear of the packed ice and left it to be wildly hurled about by various whirlpools and rushes of the tide until finally carried out into brentford bay the ice masses were large and dashed violently against each other and the rocks lay at some distance off the southern shore we had a fortunate escape from such dangerous company after anchoring again in depot bay a large stock of provisions and a record of our proceedings were landed as there seems every probability of advancing into the western sea in a very few days the appearance of bellow strait is precisely that of a greenland fjord it is about twenty miles long and scarcely a mile wide in the narrowest part and there within a quarter of a mile of the north shore the depth was ascertained to be four hundred feet its granitic shores are bold and lofty with a very respectable sprinkling of vegetation for latitude seventy two degrees some of the hill ranges rise to about fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred feet above the sea the lowland eastward of depot bay is composed of limestone destitute alike of fossils and vegetation the granite commences upon the west shore of depot bay and is at once bold and rugged many seals have been seen a young bear was shot and walker took a photograph of him as he lay upon our deck the dogs creeping near to lick up the blood 
The great rapidity of the tides in Bellot Strait fully accounts for the spaces of open water seen by Mr. Kennedy when he travelled through early in April. The strait runs very nearly east and west, but its eastern entrance is well masked by Long Island. When halfway through, both seas are visible. As in Greenland, the night tides are much higher than the day tides. Last night it was high water at about half-past eleven. As nearly as we can estimate, the tide runs through to the west from two hours before high water until four hours after it. That is, the flood tide comes from the west. Such is also the case in Hecla and Fury Strait. In both places the tide from the west is much the strongest. I am not sufficiently informed to discuss the subject, but infer the existence of a channel between Victoria and Prince of Wales land. The rise and fall is much less upon the western side of the Isthmus of Boothia than upon the east, and it likewise decreases, we know, in Barrow Strait as we advance westward. 23rd. Yesterday, Bellow Strait was again examined, but the five miles of close pack occupied precisely the same position as if heaped together by contending tides. Considerable augmentations were, moreover, seen drifting in from the western sea. Finding nothing could be effected in Bellow Strait, we sought in vain for the more southern channel which should exist to form Levesque Island. We did, however, find a beautiful harbour, and are now securely anchored in its northwest arm. I have named it after the gentleman whose former island I have thus reluctantly converted into the northern extreme of the Boothian Peninsula, and, consequently, of the American continent. The southwestern angle of Brentford Bay is still covered with unbroken ice. This evening we all landed to explore our new ground. Young and Peterson shot some Brent geese. Walker saw two deer, but he was botanizing and had no gun. Others were seen by some of the men and followed, but without success. I enjoyed a delightfully refreshing ramble, a mile or two inland through a gently ascending valley, then two miles along the narrow margin of a pretty little lake between mountains, beyond which lay a much larger one, four or five miles in diameter. This farther lake was only partially divested of its winter ice. Here the scenery was not only grand, but beautiful. There was enough of vegetation to tinge the craggy hillsides and to make the sheltered hollows absolutely green. Deer tracks and the footprints of wildfowl were everywhere numerous along the waterside. I saw two decayed skulls of muskoxen and circles of stone by the little lake, doubtless at some remote period the summer residence of wandering Eskimo. Hence I infer that fish abound in the lake and that this valley is a favourite deer pass. But the contemplation of these objects, although agreeable, was not the object of my solitary ramble. I came on shore to cogitate undisturbed in a leisurely and philosophic manner. We hoped very soon to enter an unknown sea. Discoveries were to be made, contingencies provided for, and plans prepared to meet them. Yesterday Peterson shot an immense bearded seal. It sank, but floated up an hour afterwards. This animal measured eight feet long and weighed about five hundred pounds. We prefer its flesh to that of the small seals, and its blubber will afford a valuable addition to our stock of lamp oil for the coming winter. 25th in Depot Bay. We remained but twenty-four hours in Levesque Harbour. A change of wind led us to hope for a removal of the ice in Bellow Strait, therefore I determined to make another attempt. When off the tableland, where the depth is not more than from six to ten fathoms, and the tides run strongest, the ship hardly moved over the ground, although going six and a half knots through the water. Thus delayed, darkness overtook us, and we anchored at midnight in a small indentation of the north shore, christened by the men Fox's Hole, rather more than halfway through. For several hours we had been coquetting with huge rampant ice masses that wildly surged about in the tideway, or we dashed through boiling eddies and sometimes almost grazed the tall cliffs. We were therefore naturally glad of a couple or three hours' rest, even in such a very unsafe position. At early dawn we again proceeded west, but for three miles only, 
the pack again stopped us and we could perceive that the western sea was covered with ice the east wind which could alone remove it now gave place to a hard-hearted westerly one all the straits to the eastward of us and the eastern sea as far as could be seen from the hilltops is perfectly free from ice whereas in the direction we wish to proceed there is nothing but packed ice or water which cannot be reached bitterly disappointed we are of course yet there is reasonable ground for hope grim winter will not ratify the obstinate proceedings of the western ice for nearly four weeks last evening's amusement was most exciting nor was it without its peculiar perils with cunning and activity worthy of her name our little craft warily avoided a tilting match with the stout blue masses which whirled about as if with wilful impetuosity through the narrow channel some of them were so large as to ground even in six or seven fathoms water many were drawn into the eddies and acquiring considerable velocity in a contrary direction suddenly broke bounds charging out into the stream and entering into mighty conflict with their fellows after such a frolic the masses would revolve peaceably or unite with the pack and quietly await their certain dissolution may the day of that wished-for dissolution be near at hand nothing but strong hope of success induced me to encounter such dangerous opposition i not only hoped but almost felt that we deserved to succeed two plans were now occupying my thoughts both of them resulting from the conviction that we should probably be compelled to winter to the eastward of bellow strait the most important of these plans is that of finding some series of valleys chains of lakes or continuous low land practicable as an overland sledge route to the western coast along which we may transport depots of provisions this autumn for it is certain that the strong tides will prevent bellow strait from being frozen over till winter is far advanced and its surface will afford us no means of passing westward with our sledges the other plan and that which we are now about to execute is to land a small depot of provisions sixty or seventy miles to the southward and down prince regent's inlet in order to facilitate communication with the eskimo either this autumn or in early spring this precautionary step became so necessary in the event of the west coast presenting unusual difficulties that i determined to carry it at once into execution quitting the fox's hole and resting for one night in depot bay we sailed thence on the twenty sixth a fine breeze carried us rapidly southward along the coast of regent inlet there was but little obstruction occasionally it was necessary to pass through a stream of loose ice but we saw little of any kind compared to the experiences of sir john ross in eighteen twenty nine about dusk nine o'clock much loose ice to the southward prevented our making any attempt at further progress we therefore anchored off the coast in stillwell bay i think about forty-five miles from the depot bay here the depot consisting of a hundred and twenty rations was landed i observe that it has only been on penetrating into brentford bay that we have found the primary rocks washed by the sea the coastline both north and south as far as and beyond our present position is a low shore of pale limestone destitute of fossils we can however see granitic hill ranges far into the interior on the twenty seventh we commenced beating back to the northward tacking between the land and the ice which lay about fifteen miles off shore towards night the wind greatly increased and the ship under reefed sail plunged violently into the short swift high seas we also felt quite as uneasy and restless as the ship in our great anxiety to get back and ascertain what changes were likely to be affected by the gale twenty eighth to-night the weather is more pleasant the keen and contrary wind has given place to a gentle fair breeze the swell has almost subsided no ice has been seen to-day and the night is dark and unusually mild i can hardly fancy that the sea which gently rocks us is not the ocean and the soft air the breath of our own temperate region the delusion is charming thirtieth yesterday after anchoring in depot bay i walked over to possession point to visit ross's cairn 
I found a few stones piled up on two large boulders, and under each a halfpenny, one of which I pocketed. Upon the ground lay the fragments of a bottle which once contained the record, and near it a staff about four feet long. Having calculated upon finding the bottle sound, I was obliged to make an impromptu record case of its long neck, into which I thrust my brief document, and consigned it to the safe custody of a small heap of stones, the staff being erected over it. It was dark before I got on board again. The strait had been reconnoitred from the hills, and was reported to be perfectly clear of ice. This morning we made a fourth attempt to pass through, but Bellow Strait was by no means clear. The same obstruction existed which defeated our last attempt, and in precisely the same place. Returning eastward, we entered a narrow arm of the sea, nearly a couple of miles to the west of Depot Bay, and anchored in a small creek, perfectly sheltered and landlocked, at the foot of a sugar-loaf hill. The temperature is falling. Last night it stood at 24 degrees. End of chapter 10